Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. everyone welcome back to another episode of black girls have anxiety too thank you so much for joining us again my name is ashley i'm your host and today we have a special guest and she's from the west coast shout out to everybody from the west coast well she's not from the west coast she's living in san diego so but we're gonna claim her for now um we have dr jennifer morgan so welcome to the podcast Thank you. Thank yes. you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It's, it's really an honor and a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much for taking some time um, in the middle of the week at that to hop on the podcast. So I appreciate you. Um, no Dr. Jennifer, do you want to be referred to as Dr. Jennifer or Dr. Morgan? What do you usually go by? It does. Either one is fine. I hear both. So okay. you can say Dr. Jennifer, Dr. Morgan. I hear Dr. Morgan the most, um, okay. or people kind of refer to me as that the most, but I'm fine with either. Okay, we'll use Dr. Morgan. I, I like the flow of that. Okay. <laughs> so um, <laughs> Dr. Morgan is a pediatric psychologist. So we're she's got a she's doing a lot of amazing things. So let me just go ahead and and tell you a little bit about her before we hop into the actual episode. So Dr. Morgan is a licensed clinical psychologist, wife and mother of a four-year-old son. She's from the small town of Fayetteville, North Carolina, but currently resides in San Diego, California. Shout out to the West Coast. Uh, she received her PhD in school psychology with a focus in pediatric psychology at the University of Memphis in Memphis, Tennessee. She earned her bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Dr. Morgan specializes in the treatment of diverse mental health issues and concerns in children and adults. She has worked in a variety of school and clinical settings, including children's hospitals, primary care, development care, development centers, developmental centers. I can speak. I promise. <laughs> and private practice. Um, she's com deeply committed to practicing cultural humility and providing culturally sound, affirming care in a collaborative, authentic, and gentle manner. As a mental health professional, Dr. Morgan recognized the need for more children's mental health books that are diverse in nature and fun to read. Therefore, she has made a decision to use her interest in writing to create stories for children that focus on mental health teaching coping skills. She's established a book series, The Creative Coping Conscious Child Collection in February of 22. Ooh, I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, the C4 collection allows her to publish books and offer other helpful mental health resources to families worldwide. Dr. Morgan is dedicated to teaching and spreading mental health awareness to children and families, no matter their location. A book can travel places that sometimes therapy cannot. Woo! Love it. You are doing a lot of things. I love um, it. <laughs> thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> so um, I know you've got a book series. That is one thing that I definitely want to talk about. We'll get into that a little bit later. But right. let's let's talk about how you became or how, what inspired you to become a pediatric psychologist? Yeah, no, interesting question. I, I feel it was kind of a buildup. So 
one, starting even, let's say when I was younger, um, being in college, I really enjoyed just working with children and kind of being a mentor and uh, being able to just connect with them to the point where I honestly felt if it wasn't for my interest in mental health, I would probably be a teacher. Like I could see myself being in the classroom and being able to connect connect with them where they are, which is at the schools. Um, so just in general, my love and, and care for just being with kids, um, teens, things like that, um, it just really motivated me to pursue something in which I would be able to be with them. And so again, just naturally, I was kind of that one friend as far as like being the go-to person for advice or um, wanting to have the answers whenever there was an issue or a problem that arise uh, that, you know, was possibly about mental health, you know, with friends or family. Um, and so with that kind of just being a part of my everyday kind of experiences with those in my lives, um, I kind of just put it together where I'm like, okay, I want to one, pursue a career or do something where I can continue to help people, not just out of the natural, again, the natural care for them, but also professionally being able to really make an even bigger difference. Um, and in doing that, of course, I then was like, I want to also work with my kids. I want to work with children and work with parents, um, adults too. Um, but I would say that uh, definitely motivated me to work with those uh, or to work with that population or those populations um, in different settings, really in schools, hospitals, um, as you mentioned, like developmental centers, um, just wherever they are. That's where I am. Or that's yeah. where I've kind of dabbed into. <laughs> yes, I love that. I think you're the first uh, child psychologist that we've had on the podcast. So yes, awesome. shout out to you. Um <laughs> That's, that's awesome. So I guess for anybody that's listening, um, this may seem like a dumb question, but is child psychology the same thing as pediatric psychology or is there like a, an age cutoff between the two? Um, it's slightly different. It's, it's a thin line. Um, usually when you hear pediatric psychology, uh, those professionals are in pediatric settings such as, let's say, like medical centers. Um, pediatric psychology or psychologists you can also find maybe like primary care. Um, so it's affiliated or associated with uh, more like the medical population uh, with children, um, but you also have some pediatric psychologists or who um, psychologists who call themselves pediatric psychologists who just do not work in those settings, but they also branch out and they may be in private private practice um, or you know in schools potentially. Uh, it just all depends on like their training and their background, basically, as far as what defines them. Um, and so with child psychologists, that, in my opinion, is more um, kind of broad um, mm -hmm. if you're working with children. Ultimately, again, no matter kind of where you are, you can work with children without having that specialty uh, in, let's say, like the medical field, like working with that population in particular in those settings. It's just kind of working with children, okay. wherever that may be. All right. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I, I think I got so excited that you are the first uh, child psychologist on the podcast. I, I completely forgot to do our little like three minute fire, <laughs> you know, rapid fire question segment. So we're going to oh, okay. rewind it a little bit, you Let's know, go. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a few minutes just to get to know a little bit more about Dr. Morgan. So 
um, what's going to happen is I'm going to set my little timer over here and we are, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You just kind of say the first thing that comes to mind. If you got a story behind it, we can hear it. Um, all right. All right. All right. You ready? ready? I think. All right. So first question, timer is going to start now. All right. Which emoji do you use the most? The crying. The crying? Crying, laughing? Yeah. Well, not laughing, literally just the the crying. (laughs) Not the one with the tears, but the one where it's like, you're like, uh, yes. Excessively. Switch things up a little bit. (laughs) Um, Have you ever been told you look like someone famous? And if so, who was it? Oh, wow. I haven't been told that recently or lately but when I was a little younger I would hear that I favor brandy I never oh. saw it personally but apparently back in those days that's what they used to say or okay. used to tell me but okay maybe the, maybe the same eyes brain. I don't know yeah maybe the braids I'm thinking braids. the eyes and I did wear my hair like in braids and you know yeah. she's like the 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 braid queen or the queen right so. <laughs> the braid queen of the 90s <laughs> right exactly um okay so do you um does your current car have a name and if so what is it oh man yes it does and i'll go ahead and say her name i've named her Teresa. but if i'm being honest the whole car name thing was really big for me with my car before the one I have now, it was a focus, a little green, little tink tink focus. And her name mm-hmm. is Felicia. And oh. I literally only referred to her as Felicia. Like she was like my little best friend that traveled <laughs> with me everywhere for school. <laughs> Felicia, the focus. Like, come on, Felicia. <laughs> right. Basically <laughs> had a ring. It just had a ring. To me. <laughs> um, okay. If you have to sing karaoke, what song are you going to pick? Oh, wow. What song would I pick? I don't know why, but I feel the first song that just came to mind was Monica, uh, Angel of Mine. Oh, Angel. Yes, yes, I know that one. I love that song. Yes, me too. I can't sing like her, but I can't either. As you see, as you can see, I can definitely cannot. (laughs) You know, little tune. I heard you. A little bit, but it doesn't go past that. That's it. That's all I got. Okay, if you were left on a deserted island, who are you taking with you? Who? Not yeah, one. I'll give you three spots. Three spots. Okay, desert, deserted island. One, mm-hmm. I'm definitely taking my husband. Mm-hmm. He definitely has to come with me. Um, hmm. That is a good question. I think I will also take one of my good friends. Matter of fact, I know I would. I would take my good friend, Courtney. Okay. Uh, and another good friend, her name is Robin. Okay. Um, where I can have like my fun with my girls, and then I have yeah, you, you know hubby. my time right with hubby. I think I would be happy. Okay. If they were there. With that was me. that's good. <laughs> um, okay. What is your favorite item that you've bought this year? Favorite item that I bought mm-hmm. my uh, tripod. Um, oh my with like the ring light yes oh that's I really my- <laughs> yep I, yeah it it's changes the game 
It really does. It really, really does. And I'm like, why didn't I get this a long time ago? Probably because I wasn't doing much on social media, but you know, I would yeah. say I'm really proud for that purchase. Proud of that purchase. Yeah, it's a it's a great little tool. I love it. It really is. It really is. Not too expensive. You know, it's affordable depending yes. on what you want with it. And I love it. Yes, me too. <laughs> All right, last question. Um, what would your, if you could have any superpower, what would you have and why? Ooh, superpower. Mm, ooh, why do I feel like that's, that's the hardest question of them all? It is because like, you go through every scenario. <laughs> Invisibility. <laughs> can I fly? Swim underwater? Right. Read minds. It's like so many different options. Goodness. I don't, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say it's my favorite or number one thing. But I feel it would be pretty cool if I could breathe on the water. I don't yes. know. I oh my get gosh. in the water all the time. Or I don't know. I think it's one of those things where if anything was to occur, which that's kind of a fear of mine, it's like, I'm okay. You know, yeah. where I can save somebody. Yes. You know, I don't know. I think that would be cool, though. That would be so cool. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for answering. Um, my that little funny fun. questions. No problem. <laughs> I like it. Yes, of course. So let's get back into um, child psychology. I know we talked a little bit about the differences between like pediatric psychologists in those particular settings versus just overall uh, okay. child psychology. Okay. Um, so how early can children start to see a psychologist? Yeah, no, great question. I would say, well, one, we know that psychologists, they provide different services from, let's say, treatments such as therapy, interventions, working with parents, to even doing assessments, doing evaluations in order to diagnose. Um, so when we think of, let's say, the assessment or diagnosis piece, a child can be as young as really two years old. Um, if we want to take it even further, let's say if there is an issue with an infant um, that requires uh, support or help of a psychologist. Um, the therapist is working with the parent. However, the patient can be the infant, can be the baby. Mm. Um, so when it comes to those type of services, such as, again, like evaluating to determine if there's, you know, a developmental disability, maybe like autism, which we know can be diagnosed as young as three, um, a patient can, um, can be young, very young. But typically when it comes to like the traditional therapy, um, you usually see as far as like one-on-one therapy, mm -hmm. um, a child usually can be like six years or older. Um, but even when it comes to that type of therapy, it can be in some form of like talk therapy where there's maybe like some conversation as well as like play that's involved. Um, but even when it comes to, let's say, children who are a little bit younger than that so let's say like four or five you have the option of like play therapy um, mm. that kind of centers or caters to that particular young population in which they can receive services um, that way uh, with a therapist or a psychologist so to answer your question very young really, okay yeah I was wondering about like how early can I know like schools have psychologists pretty early on mm -hmm. but that's definitely interesting to know even when you have a baby, even though you're talking to the parent, like you said, the focus is still the child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, so 
I know you talked a, a bit about working with parents, um, you know, when, the, when kids are really little, but I know, of course, you know, we are working with minors. There's got to be some type of interaction that's happening with parents. If the parents are like a guardian is around, mm-hmm. what does that kind of look like? What does the range of that interaction look like? There is right. There is a range. Um, and some psychologists just vary as far as how involved they may have the parent. I would say, again, no matter the age of the child, there should always be some level of involvement um, with the parent because it's kind of impossible to be effective in helping or treating a child without collaborating or some type of connection with the parent. Um, I'll say me personally, I take on um, what's called kind of a family systems approach in which if there's a child who's being treated, um, one thing we know is that they are very uh, influenced usually by their environment or those that are in their environment, their world, basically. So let's say like parents, Mm -hmm. Um, they're very influenced by mom or dad or, you know, siblings. And so with that being said, um, I know I prefer to have parents heavily involved in the process, whether it's them understanding what's being worked on, being educated as well, so that they can do some things maybe at home with them, um, whether it's them understanding in order to motivate the child or encourage them to practice what they've learned in therapy, um, kind of being that support system as well as kind of accountability individual. Um, and so it can just go a long way whenever it's, again, not just the child, you know, maybe feeling alone if the parents are not involved, but feeling like it's a team effort, you know, where the parent again is involved and it's about everyone, even right. though it may be about the child and the issue that's being addressed. Right. Um, and when you're working with the parents, like, does that kind of look like sitting down and just talking through and like reiterating what you've taught the child or is it more like tangible, like here's your worksheet and these are things like to put on the refrigerator as reminders, Mm -hmm. or is it like different exercises that they need to kind of go through with their, with their children? What does Mm -hmm. that kind of look like? Again, every, there are different approaches to it. I think, again, when you're working with children, one thing you want to do is maintain their interests as much as possible. The same thing for parents. You want to maintain their interests and feel as though what's being discussed or worked on is going to be effective and helpful, which may mean sending them with some worksheets or some um, educational parent sheets uh, outlining what was discussed or what they can practice on for the remaining of the week or two weeks. And so the collaboration usually goes beyond as far as just like talking. There is, of course, talking and discussing what's going on. um, But it also actually leads me into the the idea of parent training, Mm -hmm. um, the method of parent training, where it goes, again, beyond just talking, but actually practicing strategies or skills with parents in the office in order to um, support them at home, in order to encourage them to practice certain um, skills that are known to be effective in like improving like problem behavior, for example. Mm, Um, Very interesting. Yeah, it goes, so it's again, a lot of talking, but it's also uh, some role playing is, you know, completing maybe some sheets, some worksheets together in order to understand what's being taught or discussed. 
so yeah, you can you can kind of be creative. I think mm-hmm. when you're just working with children and parents in order to, you know, reach your goal, in order to make progress. Mm. It, and as far as like, if there are parents listening or just people that are like me, just genuinely curious, mm-hmm. um, are there any particular signs that like you should look for in your child that may prompt you to like taking them to therapy or taking them to see a psychologist? Like when? What are some of the red I don't want to call them red flags, but what are some of the red flags? Yeah, yeah, they can be considered red flags um, because, right, it is that question where it's like, okay, when is enough enough as far as what you're observing or experiencing? That's that's an issue. That's a concern to where you could benefit from some additional support. And I would usually always kind of stick to if the problem is interfering with the child or family's overall functioning. As far as if it's interfering with social, with their social functions, such as relationships with people or peers, are they having a hard time uh, making and maintaining friendships? Is it interfering with their education, their ability to learn or their ability to stay focused at school? Um, If it's an adult, is it interfering with work? Are they able to, you know, go to work, take care of business um, or is it hard to even just get through the day? Um, so kind of just interfering with those important areas in, 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 in their lives is what I would say, okay, this is worth presenting or receiving some help with um, because we never wanted to get to a place to where it is, let's say, a, a decline in these important, mm-hmm. again, these important areas. Uh, right. So lives. sooner than later is, is mm-hmm. ideal. Sooner than later. Sooner than yeah. later. Um, yeah. So I know that you mentioned that um, you are a mom and you have a son. So uh, did you, like, were you a psychologist when you had your son or before, or did you Mm. like kind of come into that career afterwards? And like, how has that maybe like shaped your version of motherhood? Oh, yes. Actually, I love that question. It's funny because (laughs) I was not a psychologist I was not a psychologist when I became a mom, but I was literally like on the verge. I was right there. He um, he basically came at the time of my graduation. <laughs> it, was oh, so, wow. it was so interesting how it played out. It's kind of like perfect timing a little bit where I was in my final year mm-hmm. of training and I literally walked the stage and like the next week he like came. <laughs> Oh, wow. He's ready. He's like, mom, you got one week to walk across that stage. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So honestly, he, I kind of look at him and he represents really the start of my career. Um, I always felt there was a connection, you know, with parents whenever I worked with them during my training years, um, when I was in school, um, as I said, I've always liked, loved working, you know, with children. Um, and so it's easy for me to, you know, just hear them out or understand and help ultimately, but becoming a mom at the same time of coming a psychologist, in my opinion, it kind of just opened up another, um, another world of just connection with other parents, um, because I get it, you know, on a Mm -hmm. whole different level, you know, where they may say I'm concerned about this particular issue, I have this concern. I'm like, I know, me too. Like me too. (laughs) I just dealt with that last week. (laughs) Right. You know, like, so before I would, again, 
feel connected, of course, and help, but now it just takes it to another level of like empathy um, and also just love of what I do. You know, my son just reminded me of how much I really enjoy, you know, children and helping kind of mold them and helping parents be the best versions of themselves to to do that, you know, that job. Or I don't want to say job, but just handle that role um, yeah. for their kids. So that's awesome. I think that it probably helps, especially if, if the kids are kind of around the same ages, I'm sure parents probably think, okay, mm-hmm. you know, she, she gets it. She knows yeah. exactly like, <laughs> yeah, I don't have kids, so I, I don't get it, but <laughs> I can only imagine like, I mean, not to compare kids to pets, but that's all I got to compare mm-hmm. it to. And yeah. I have two, two, <laughs> two cats. So whenever I meet another cat mom or like somebody that's like a fur mom, I'm like, Mm-hmm. You, you understand like my cat acting yeah. cool right now in the background they, but they can be just like kids too the responsibility yeah. everything yeah <laughs> yeah but they never grow up I feel like that's Very the true. difference like they just that's why I can't get a dog because the dogs never grow up you gotta go it's like diapers forever like at least kids <laughs> will eventually grow that's up right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like the dog is just like a newborn forever like, forever that is good actually it is good <laughs> So I'll stick to my two cats, hopefully at some point, you know, baby, but yeah, no dogs, not right now. Um, So let's talk a little bit about anxiety. And I'm really curious about how anxiety appears in children. Like what are some of the common signs? Because I imagine they're probably a little bit different than how they probably change, I guess, through different life stages. But in particular, like how does anxiety look like? What does anxiety look like in children? Yeah. Well, I think one, we can start off um, just to make sure we're all on the same page as far as, you know, what is anxiety? Mm -hmm. Um, Anxiety is one, it's normal. It's something we're born with. It's something we're going to experience at some point in our lives, usually, you know, when we're young, you know, when we're kids, even a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, But whenever it's too much anxiety or whenever it's excessive, that's when it becomes a problem, of course, or more of an issue, um, and it can manifest in different ways. So um, we know it can manifest physically to where, you know, our body responds to the worry that we feel to where we may have headaches, we may have muscle tension, uh, we may feel fatigue. Um, It can also, of course, come out behaviorally. And this is often, of course, not just with adults, but kids as well. One, like I said, physically, kids can have those type of issues. One that I often hear a lot with children is like stomach aches, where they feel like Mm. my tummy hurts. Um, You know, it's discomfort, you know, with that. Um, But then also, again, behaviorally, you may have some kids who are feeling anxious and they may act out. You know, it's more behavioral issues, Um, not because they are purposely, you know, having a tantrum or they're purposely having this meltdown to, you know, make you have make you feel like they're just having the worst day but this is their way in which they are communicating and saying mm-hmm. something isn't right I'm I'm worried or you know I'm ex- I'm feeling excessive anxiety um, so that can definitely be um, seen in children as far as like behavior changes in behavior such as more tantrums or again like more meltdowns um, we know that um, anxiety doesn't necessarily again, look the same or is expressed the same emotionally. Um, Some kids will show more irritability. 
uh, more maybe anger, where they're more easily frustrated or just easily upset. Um, again, not because they want to, you know, give you a hard time, but they're feeling anxious, but they may not say it. They may not use the right words. It just may be expressed as, I don't want to be bothered. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not feeling good. Um, and then, of course, lastly, cognitively. So some kids, especially older ones, they're able to communicate. I, I'm not just feeling worried, but I'm having thoughts that mm. are saying, you know, I should be anxious or I have something to feel anxious about. Um, worry thoughts that's maybe keeping them up at night um, where they're unable to sleep because they're having racing thoughts about what may go wrong or what isn't going right or what they're scared of. Um, and so, yeah, those are some of some of the just some of the ways in which, you know, kids may express or show that, which is somewhat, you know, the same as adults in some way, but not really like you're not going to yeah. see an adult hopefully have a tantrum in the middle of the school. <laughs> hopefully, <Yeah>. but I don't know. Ideally not, but the way things right. are going, I don't know. <laughs> I know. So just want to break down and say, it. <laughs> I know. Um, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I am like, I, what you said just like hit the nail on the head because it clicks that kids just don't have the language. I mean, like you said, some adults, some teenagers may not even have the actual the language to explain what's going on, but kids literally do not have the words to tell you what's going on. So I guess that's where, I mean, I guess as, as parents, when you're talking to parents, is there a lot of kind of teaching patience when it comes to, to kids? Because I, again, I don't have kids, but I imagine that that has to be one thing as a parent that, you know, that last nerve is probably just always always <laughs> you know at risk yeah. Yeah. man that in itself I feel like I can I'm not going to go off on a tangent because there's a couple things that just comes to, to my mind about right that being a parent and having to manage or help your child deal with their anxiety in ways that again doesn't necessarily just come as mommy I'm anxious but behavior that can be hard or tough to to deal with um but right, definitely patience, having to practice patience. But even before getting to the point of patience, I do believe that can be um, easily achieved whenever there is understanding of what's going on for one, like what is going on with, with my child? You know, again, are they doing this because they're trying to make me just have a bad day or start the morning off terribly or are they having a tantrum or having a meltdown this morning because they really are afraid or they feel nervous about going to school in the morning you know yeah. do they have a fear that is beyond their control at this point in which they're communicating to me you're more likely to be more patient or feel more patient towards this issue over here versus let's say maybe okay you just you just acting up. You trying me right now. <laughs> testing the waters. Right? You testing the waters. <laughs> so that in itself, again, as far as just understanding, get, getting an understanding, one, I'll even say taking the time to really observe and understand what's going on or see what's going on in order to make the best assessment on what's causing it. So I would say starting off right with trying to um, establish patience and 
one of the other things that really comes to my mind as well, and this is really big for me, and I teach it all the time to parents. I preach it. Um, I've done you know research with it and or on it, and that's parent modeling. The importance of modeling what you want to see from your mm. child when it comes to managing stress. You know, it's okay to um, be able to demonstrate you know, to your child on the spot, how you're handling a difficult situation. Um, of course, you want to be mindful of what maybe the situation might be. Children don't need to know everything, but, you know, let's say that's that- a good point though. Sorry to interrupt you, yeah, but uh-huh. that's another good point is that mm-hmm. children don't necessarily need to know everything. So sometimes I feel like yeah. telling kids a little bit too much can add to that anxiety. Boom. Yeah. Correct. I agree 100%. Exactly, which is why, again, being a parent is is not it's no easy job, you know, because you really have to try and navigate um, in a way that you may not have your entire life. Where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. when do I say? When do I not? What is too much? What is not? Because right by being open can then have that effect of creating the anxiety or mm-hmm. making it worse. Um, but again, when I say just being mindful or choosing what they may be exposed to something as simple as okay you're in traffic your child is in the back seat and they see that it's frustrating because maybe you guys are running late um instead of going off the way that you maybe would if let's say you were alone showing how you're able to manage or stay calm um in that situation when someone i don't know or traffic let's say is um interfering with your schedule Mm-hmm. Um, that's just like a, like a real simple everyday, maybe type of example. But, yeah. um, again, just modeling what handling stress look, looks like or handling, um, or managing anxiety, uh, might look like as well as, um, just staying calm yourself when they're not calm because to become, you know, anxious and to, to show that to them, it's just increasing their their, their anxiety. anxiety is giving them a reason to to stay the way that they are as far as that um, state. Hmm. I, I like that you talk about parent modeling and that kind of um, that kind of makes me think of my next question, which is so you're teaching parent parent modeling, kind of educating parents about being mindful of how they are acting in front of their kids. Now, of course, no one's perfect. And like you mentioned, parents are I mean, your first child is your first attempt, like it's your first time as a parent. So grace is always needed. But at what point, and is there a point when you're, um, when you're going through therapy with the child, with the family, that you pull a parent aside and say, hey, you need some therapy, like you you need some therapy, not, Mm -hmm. you know, we're focusing a lot on you and the focus needs to be on the child. Is there like, is that overstepping boundaries or is that something that can, can be done in child psychology? It can be done. It can be done, but right. You want to be careful at Mm. that because you do have some parents who will literally show up and they'll say, here's the problem, fix them, you know, do something, you know, about this without even being aware of their role and that is actually greater is actually bigger, you know, than mm. what they believe to be true. Um, and so, yeah, I have had some, some experiences where I've had to uh, work or speak or communicate to the parent that 
individual therapy would benefit what we're doing for the child. Because um, what will happen is, let's just say, because if let's say a parent comes in and, you know, they're seeking help, you know, especially initially, you're going to, you know, give that branch, you're going to help uh, or do what you can, especially as you're getting to understand or know the family, know the child, but in spending time with them, what often happens is that there are barriers to not to be to not being able to make progress with mm-hmm. with the child and what we're doing based on the child, let's say, behavior. Um, so let's say uh, in in the in the situation where a parent is in parent training, parent training is centered around a parent implementing strategies that's meant to improve behavior. Um, but if a parent is depressed where they don't feel they have the energy to spend the time that's needed with that child during the day, if they're spending most of their time in bed, if they don't feel motivated to um, help their child you know, in these different ways, that's, a, that's a, a barrier or that's causing a barrier to being able to make progress with what has to occur in parent training um, in order to see the behavior improve. Um, And so in those situations, it tends to be a little easier to break it down and communicate that, let's say, individual work needs to happen first because we're kind of at a a standstill where we have to work on you. And, you know, parents, they'll they'll be open to it, especially if they feel they are supported and you can even assist them and they begin to connect it. Sometimes it takes just taking a break from treatment for the child and then that parent just working on themselves first sometimes it can go hand in hand where the parent starts their therapy and there's still some work that can still be done you know in parent listen training for instance Um, it just all depends it varies yeah that makes sense and um, earlier you mentioned there's um, different settings I know you yourself have worked in different settings within child psychology can you kind of go into maybe some of the settings that you've worked in within child psychology. I know off the top of my head, I think child psychologists and I think, okay, private practice, hospital, schools. But outside of that, is is there any other place where child psychologists can be playing a part in, in that team? Yeah, those are big three. Definitely. Okay. That's where you can definitely find them, especially in the schools, which they won't necessarily be considered child psychologists you may hear a lot of like school psychologists actual school okay. psychologists um but right you can see them in those different settings um there are also like community centers um depending on where you know where you reside there are some psychologists who work in in the community like i said maybe like community, oh, wow. uh, youth centers um i have some and even myself working in like primary care um, environment. So not just the hospital, but actually meeting them at their well child check, you know, with their really, mm-hmm. I did not know that it's, it is, I'll say it's a, it's growing. Okay. That is growing. It's called integrated care, um, to where again, as of right now, you know, the psychologist or the field of psychology, we definitely want to be accessible. We want to be able to, you know, help as many families, children, adults as possible. Um, and so one of the things or one of the issues that sometimes just occur is 
you know, no show rates where you may have some people mm. who may schedule appointments, but don't show, or they may start, but not finish. And one of the good things about being in a setting such as with primary care is that we know that a child has to come to their mm. six-year-old, seven-year-old checkup. They're, you know, the parents are going to bring them there. And it's really good because during that time, um, you know, there, there would be sometimes expression of concern about behavioral issues or emotional issues um, that the pediatrician, you know, they can provide some, you know, some support, but it just goes a long way when they're like, well, I have Dr. So-and-so here, you know, psychologists who can literally come in, do a brief assessment and provide some on the spot intervention um, and then have follow-up sessions as if it's, you know, therapy. Um, and just knowing that the psychologist is connected to the child's pediatrician, which is a lot of trust um, and history potentially with that medical professional, um, it boosts or increases motivation to, you know, even let's say show up uh, yeah. to the follow-up sessions for therapy. Um, so yeah, I would again say primary care is is growing to where psychologists are. Um, more psychologists are transitioning into that environment as the medical field is being, you know, open to that, um, to collaborating and providing that integrative whole person care. Um, but that's we still cool. have a ways to go kind of with that, but we're going. <laughs> yeah, that that's awesome. I guess I never even thought that that was a possibility, but as you describe it, it makes sense. Like, why weren't we doing this before? Yeah, you know? right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It, it, so, makes, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, a lot. And especially like if, if you're a kid and you go into your pediatrician, I'm sure as a parent, it probably feels great. Like you said, to just, you have that trust already built. Like they're in the office. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've seen them before walking around yeah. or, you know, yeah. you've seen their pictures around the office. And so you have that, that familiarity that kind of can get you through the awkwardness maybe in that mm-hmm. first appointment. Mm-hmm. Um so that's yeah. cool. And, and would people just like find that through their insurance providers or like how how do they usually like advertise that? Um, that's that's a good question. I, I, I I'll be honest, I feel like I can't maybe speak on what the insurance companies are communicating or wh- how they're referring yeah. them. Um, I just know based on my experience that usually if that particular primary care um, has that service, is, is offered if okay. an issue if they hear an issue um, or if the issue is presented such as maybe like suicidality a child mm. is experiencing thoughts of not wanting to live anymore if that psychologist is there then that's definitely an automatic you know connection hand off like mm-hmm. and, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's called it's actually called a warm handoff okay um, which which happens between the psychologist and or it's in and, and i'm sorry let me even correct myself because sometimes not even just the psychologist but social workers okay um uh, master's level clinicians, I want to say they are also in that setting um, to where they can just take it further as far as care, if that's presented. Um, so I don't, so again, when it comes to the advertisement piece, I don't know too much, especially because it's, it's not new, but it's still just growing and it's not accessible everywhere. But I do know if it is at that child's primary care office, um, that is definitely nothing that's withheld information that's not withheld is is offered um, right if inquired or or just needed that's awesome like that's actually very encouraging to hear i think <laughs> sometimes um sometimes we talk a little bit about the accessibility 
we talk a lot about the accessibility within mental health. Um, And it's encouraging to hear that that piece is starting to be implemented. And hopefully that will increase the accessibility and also like make, make it so that kids are kind of introduced to having a psychologist early on. So it's not this like taboo thing. Like I remember being in middle school and I had a friend of mine, um, she was having some mental health issues and I remember she would like miss a few days and she wasn't seeing like the school psychologist, like she had to be like taken away to go see somebody. And it was kind of like a, you know, it's a thing like, Oh my gosh, this person has gone to, you know, like they're seeing a psychologist and they would come back and kind of tell us what's going on. And then they would leave for a few more days, but it's nice that it, it is, I think integrations like that, decrease the taboo mm-hmm. of mental health and de- it's kind of like okay well you know if I need to be in the hospital for three days for my arm then it's also okay if I need to be in the hospital for a few days for my brain mm-hmm. yeah so, definitely definitely yeah. I agree it's it's a response to the stigma you know around you know mental health or seeing you know a therapist or a psychologist um, to where at least again if you're there for a well child check but you clearly, you know, benefit from mental health services, that child or family can at least be introduced. You know, you yeah. can have that first initiation or connection to where if it feels right, which that's always the goal to make it feel right, to make it feel comforting um, to where they want to come back, you know, and yeah. they see that, you know what, this is not, not bad. And again, with it being within the house of a medical office, um, it kind of just takes away you know, the thought of like being a secluded or, office, right, of like, exactly. you know, with a magnifying glass on your brain and mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, kind of do, do what you have to do to get people in, to be seen, yeah. to help them. If that means we're just going to meet you where you are at your child, you know, well child check, then so be it. Yes. Um, I go. love that. I know um, there's a, a, an episode I did with, um, a young woman named Abigail Thomas, she just uh, graduated from her master's program. And, and she mm-hmm. kind of talked a little bit about um, a, an experience that she had when she was, I believe, in like middle school age. And she explained that at that point, she really wanted help. Like she really wanted mm-hmm. to, to speak to a, a therapist at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wasn't able to. And it makes it, it reminds me of that situation, because had there been an integration, yeah. maybe that could have been something like, Hey, I want to go to the doctor and you go to the doctor. And then at that point, especially if you're, I feel, I feel like in middle school or or high school, you can probably say to the doctor, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, is there anybody else that can, that I can talk to? Mm-hmm. Is there a psychologist or somebody that can help me? So it's encouraging to hear again, that it's all in the same place, potent mm-hmm. for some, for some places and that it's moving in that direction. So yeah, I agree. I agree. Love I it. think that's the perfect example with, with her case. Yes. Like, that's like a perfect setup. Yes. That's awesome. So um I know we're talking a little bit about um we've mentioned a little bit about schools, but as far as I know you mentioned that there can be school psychologists, but I want to kind of shift a little bit in do psychologists how did uh, how does a child psychologist work with work with a teacher? Because I think 
um, nowadays, especially I think in 2020, there was a huge spotlight on how much work teachers actually do and how much time your kid is actually spending with the teacher, whether it be virtual or in person. So I imagine as much of a influence that parents have teachers, even if it's for like a semester or for a year, or in some cases for years at a time, they have a huge influence as well on, on children. So is there ever a point where a psychologist will work with a teacher on a child's behavior? Definitely, definitely. And I'll, I'll go ahead and, and maybe distinguish between, let's say, a child psychologist who's working in the school setting and the traditional school psychologist who's working in the school setting. So a school psychologist, um, again, traditionally, um, so what you will typically find is that their hand is mostly in what's called like IEP, developing IEPs, doing evaluations for special education needs. And what's an IEP? I'm sorry, an individual education plan. Okay. So whenever there is a child who has a diagnosis, let's say um, specific learning disability, so like dyslexia, or if a child has ADHD, um, these are issues that can impact their learning. The school psychologist is usually the one who does the evaluating, the um, the evaluations, um, as well as set up a treatment plan or not so much a treatment plan, but a learning plan, meaning this is what teacher has to do. This is what support staff has to do. This is what student has to do in order to reach academic goals um, or maybe even sometimes behavior goals. So their their hand is in the kind of developing, assessing and developing the plan. Um, I didn't realize that when I first went to school, I'm thinking I'm going to be in the schools doing therapy and interventions, but found out that most of the work as a school psychologist is the assessments, doing this, Mm. the assessments and attending IEP meetings, um, which, I mean, I think they do great work and they're definitely needed. We need more, you know, in that setting, Mm -hmm. but I'll say again, the difference between maybe the traditional school psychologist and a child psychologist who may be contracted maybe to work in the schools. Um, the psychologist, clinical psychologist, um, is likely also providing therapy, um, not really there to do the evaluations for special education services like the school site, but they're more so right collaborating with the teacher, doing, um, like I said, providing therapy um, interventions in that setting. Um, and so when you have a child psychologist who's actually working in that setting, um, it's kind of a no brainer as far as there being some level of connection with the teacher, as far as what they can do to help support the child in the classroom, um, mm-hmm. based on maybe what's being discussed or worked on in therapy at, at school. Um, but then you have some therapists who are not in the school or some psychologists who are not in the setting. They're like outpatient, you know, they're oh, wow. working you know, at their own office, let's say like a private practice, um, those psychologists can still connect with the teacher and communicate to them what's being worked on, what strategies or skills the child is learning that they can continue on in that setting. Um, It kind of goes into what I mentioned earlier, um, Ashley, about the systems approach, um, where again, you're not just working with the child, you're working with the parents, you're working with the teachers, because the child exists within that system within Mm -hmm. people who's in their world. So ideally a psychologist who's working with a child who has issues in school 
would also have potentially some level of connection with the teacher as far as teaching them or letting them know what they can do to continue what's being worked on in order to help that child in these different settings, not just at home or in the therapy office. Yeah. That, thank you for that breakdown. That, that makes a lot more sense. Cause I, I think of school psychologists and I think of um, the show sex education on Netflix, which is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. The, the psychologist <laughs> that works at the school. If you haven't watched it, it's, I have it's to a check help. it out. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm yeah. that. <laughs> I'm big into like Netflix shows, especially shows like about mental health, but in a mm-hmm. fun kind of funny, not funny, yeah, kind of funny way, <laughs> lighthearted. Yeah, that's, that's the word. Humor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's basically like a psychologist that comes in, and she's very like open minded and like sex positive, and wants the kids to be able to a- ask questions. But yeah, it's it's interesting, obviously, hearing from you the actual role and how that looks like, um, depending on if you're a school psychologist or like you said, a child psychologist um, mm-hmm. within a school. So uh, talking about like other other people in the medical field that may be part of like a clinical team for a child, um, I know that there are like speech pathologists and occupational therapists and um, BCBAs mm-hmm. um, and I cannot remember I just had a BCBA on the podcast the other day and I cannot for the life of me remember the acronyms because there's so many acronyms in mental health it's overwhelming (laughs) but um for you for you individually like is that do you typically work with some of those other roles or as like a clinical team Mm -hmm. it depends on where I'm working Uh, so if I'm working let's say in the school, most definitely. I feel you make the most connections with the other professionals um, in the school system, you know, as a collaborative team effort. Um, so in the schools, right, speech therapists, maybe occupational therapists, the teacher, um, the special education teacher. Uh, it just it just all depends on what, who is there in that particular school offering services to that child. There's some level of connection there um, as you are all in that child's, what I mentioned earlier, IEP, Individual Education Plan. There's collaboration. Um, Going back to what we spoke on earlier about the primary care setting or working in the hospitals, there is collaboration in that particular setting, too. Um, So as an example for primary care, of course, you're connected with the medical doctor where you not only know what's going on medically with the child, if it's relevant to your work. Um, but let's say there is, um, something where the child needs or the family of the child needs assistance, um, financial assistance, or their needs are not being met in some way in which a social worker needs to be involved to support that family. There is a connection with that professional, um, you know, potentially depending on again, what the issues are. Uh, so there's definitely usually a collaboration again, depending on the setting, um, private practice, I feel is where you, again, can, should, or could branch out and connect with others, but it may not just naturally happen unless you put the effort in because you may only be in an office where it's just psychologists, you know, um, not other professionals. So that makes sense. That makes sense. (laughs) Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, 
let's talk a little bit about uh, C4. So before, actually, before we get into C4, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take a little quick break, and okay. we are gonna go into the mind game segment. Um, so the mind games mind game segment is uh, basically a moment where we are going to have a little bit of trivia. I'm going to read through a mental health syndrome. Dr. Morgan, you cannot help. You've got to, you're probably going to know what it is. I'm going to read it through. Our listeners are going to be able to take a guess and see, you know, what it is, or they can hit up Dr. Google and try to figure out what it is. Um, But I'll read through it. We'll give everybody listening a minute or two to kind of guess what it is. And then I'll tell the answer and then we'll hop into the next. I like then we'll it. learn more about C4 because that's what I'm really excited <laughs> about. Okay. All right. So uh, for today's mind game segment, here we go. This particular syndrome is a condition of the nervous system. This syndrome causes people to have tics. So tics are sudden twitches, movements, or sounds people uh, that people do repeatedly. Um, people who have tics cannot stop their body from doing these things. For example, a person might keep blinking over and over and over, or they might make a grunting sound unwillingly. Some of the symptoms of this particular syndrome um, start when a child is five to 10 years old. Um, The first symptoms are usually motor tics that occur in the head and neck area. Um, The tics are usually worse during times where uh, they're really stressed or really excited and they tend to improve when a person is calm and really focused on a particular activity. Uh, In most cases, the tics decrease during adolescence and early adulthood. Sometimes they disappear entirely. However, many people with this particular syndrome have tics into adulthood and sometimes they can actually get worse during adulthood. Um, Sometimes the media portrays people with this particular syndrome as having, uh, as involuntarily shouting out different swear swear words um this is actually called caprolalia dr morgan don't laugh at me i'm no i'm probably not pronouncing that you're doing right (laughs) um they may also constantly repeat the words of other people echolalia very interesting um these symptoms are super rare uh and they're not required for this particular syndrome so i will give you another minute or so to try to guess what this syndrome is um, Dr. Morgan, you probably know what it is, huh? Yeah. I, I, I believe I do. I don't know. I could, I could be wrong, I, but I think I do. Okay. Well, while you guys are taking the time to guess or rapidly uh, typing into Google, I just want to give you a little reminder to download Bullhorn. Uh, Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 is on Bullhorn. Uh, Bullhorn is a place where you can basically join us for the podcast. You can call into the show you can turn your video on and join us. Um, you can ask a question to the guests. Um, you can call in on your phone. You can also chat with other people that are listening. So every episode won't be live, but for those live episodes that we do have, you want to make sure to go on Bullhorn, follow Black Girls Have Anxiety too, and uh, turn on your notifications. That way, you know, whenever we're going live, um, you'll be alerted whenever I schedule a live episode. And then you'll also know as soon as we're going live so you can join the conversation. Um, you go to bullhorn, that's B-U-L-L-H-O-R-N.fm, uh, or you can just go to the App Store, the Google Play Store, whatever store you get your apps from, um, and go and download Bullhorn, and you can follow us on there directly on the app. Um, 
take a look in the description. The link's down there. Click, give us a follow. And I would love to see you at the, on the next episode. So, yes, I love Bullhorn. So, um, for everybody that's listening, hopefully you have your guesses. If you're listening on Spotify, you can type in your answer in the pop-up. If you get it right, I will pin it. Um, if you have an iPhone, I'm sorry, I can't pin your answer. But <laughs> um, all right. So hopefully you have your guests now. Dr. Morgan, you ready to tell the people what it is? I think so. I but then but I'm also kind of like, do I have it right? Okay, so I'll, <laughs> I'll announce it. So the answer for today's mind game segment is Tourette syndrome. Yes. So we probably, I just remember seeing, I remember kids having Tourette's in school, but I, I think the media like portrays the most rare and like, um, I don't know the word for it, but it kind of portrays what, according to this, is the most rare parts of the, the uh, syndrome, which is like people shouting out swear words or mm-hmm. um, echoing what other people are saying. Um, but I think recently, I don't know if you know this, but Billie Eilish is like a popular pop singer and mm-hmm. she recently came out and said that she has Tourette's and that oh, she's yeah. actually had it for a long time. And it actually came up during an interview. And I don't remember, uh, it's in her interview with David Letterman, um, that's in the Netflix series. If anybody wants to take a watch, but he kind of asked her why she was like fidgeting during the interview. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a very innocent question, like why she was fidgeting. And she mm-hmm. um, just very straight up said, oh, I have Tourette's and sometimes I tick. And oh. this is kind of what my ticks look like. And sometimes I'll do these certain things. So I thought it was really cool to see somebody yeah. that is that popular and that known. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. that young just come out and kind of say it rather than trying to, you know, trying to hide it. Um, oh, yeah. But Yeah. Do you, is, is Tourette syndrome something that you see often in, in children or is that um, something that kids go to a psychologist for? I'll say personally, I've only had mm, maybe about one or two cases um, to, you know, kind of walk in um, or who I've seen uh, through telehealth actually. Um, but of course, right. It is common or, you know, you can see it or a psychologist can see it um, potentially even referred by the, again, the medical doctor. Um, then being uh, presented with it first um, from the parent, so by the child. Um, but again, I'll say for myself, surprisingly, now that you even just bring it up as I think on it, I haven't actually had too many um, of those cases. Um, but but yeah, it's definitely, of course, you know, out there as far as what's being experienced, you know, by children. Yeah, it's a very, um, very interesting um, syndrome. So mm-hmm. yeah, so let's get into... Um, what I've been waiting to ask you this whole time about, which is C4 collection. So I know that you've got a book series um, and it it is a children's book series, which is awesome. Um, The fact that you're bringing mental health directly into the hands of kids. Um, But can you tell us a little bit about C4 and also how you got the name? (laughs) Definitely. So fun fact, and you may already know this, Ashley, maybe you don't, I don't know, but for those who are listening, my son's name, his nickname is C4. So he is, his first name is Clifton, um, but he's the fourth. So he takes his name after, after my husband. And my husband is the one that even came up with the, 
nickname C4. I didn't like it. I'm like, no, I'm not calling my child C4. <laughs> Can you imagine being in a store and you're calling your child C4? Where are you? And folks looking at, you know, looking at you like, what'd you just say? <laughs> That's what I always envisioned. But clearly, you know, I haven't had that experience. But um. But yeah, I mean, that's actually my son's name or, you know, what we refer to him as. Um, and so one thing I can say when it comes to my project or the C4 collection, I definitely had my son in mind um, when it comes to something or books that I feel would be helpful for him. But then, of course, just again, other children being passionate um, about helping them and being able to provide certain things beyond just what I do on a daily basis as a psychologist that can help them, um, that can support them. And so, um, so when I think of maybe just like the motivation, it was, of course, what else can I do or what else can I give to offer help? Um, not just to my own, but also to other children, you know, Mm -hmm. who I may interact with or may not interact with. Um, and so when I, again, was even just trying to think of, okay, so what am I going to call this book project when I'm calling my book project? I don't know. Again, for some reason, I just thought of C4, my son's name, C4. And then I um, then went on to say, okay, what can the four C's mean, you know, in C4? And so that's when I came up with, again, the creative coping conscious child, as each of those words represent what I believe is valuable in what a child um, should or can demonstrate um, Mm -hmm. that can be beneficial for them. We want to encourage creativity you know, within our children, you know, we want to motivate them or push them to think outside of the box, even when it comes to resolving issues or how to approach a problem, you know, be creative and think of ways, you know, to deal with it. Um, Then, of course, the other two words are kind of self-explanatory, knowing how to cope, you know, with particular issues or problems that arise. And then, of course, the consciousness, awareness, being knowledgeable and knowing what you can do or knowing who you can talk to or can receive support from um and then that fourth c being you know child you know so that kind of i don't know just came together in the moment as i was trying to think of something that would be representative of the collection of books that i um, am publishing or have published uh, so far Yay, that's awesome. And I love the background <laughs> about um about the name. I definitely I know you mentioned that earlier when we when we spoke. So I wanted to yeah. <laughs> kind of throw that out there. I thought that was pretty cool. I, <laughs> I played basketball so when I was younger, so I come from like a world of everybody's got these like different nicknames that you would yeah. never really think about. So when you said C4, I was like, that's cool. I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, right. That'll yeah. stick. Like I think that'll stick the whole way through, like middle I school, think high so school. Too. And it's so funny you even bring up athletics because that's the same thing my husband said. He's like, can you imagine him on the basketball court? Yes. And everyone is saying C for, and I'm just looking at him like. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't see it right now. <laughs> no, I can't actually. <laughs> I, I, I see the vision. I see the vision. <laughs> you see it. And I think I have just a little bit, it's, like I said, it's grown on me. I've gotten used to it to where at this point, I think it may just continue on middle school high school who knows and what he yeah. chooses to do <laughs> it's gonna be that first like competition that he's at no matter what mm. sport it is and you're gonna be in the crowd like yelling c4 and then you're gonna be like oh that sounds good that sounds really good <laughs> it's gonna hit me man well, i'm away yes I, you you said it so i'm gonna wait for that to happen actually yes it'll happen, happen. <laughs> it'll come and he's gonna look back and be like <laughs> right. um, my name yes <laughs> 
So um, tell me a little bit about the books. Well, tell me a lot about the books that you've published. And um, I know that you, you know, you've got like a, a full plan for this collection. So tell me about what's already out there. What can people potentially, um, you know, what books can they get from you now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, my mission or purpose for, or of C4 collection and, and my why, you know, it really, it also kind of just happened where I was um, just sitting, you know, in the office, you know, having some appointments with some kids, you know, with parents, and it just really kind of came to me how much parents or children may not know about mm. issues that some people, again, are exposed to early or kind of know about um, because they've, you know, been taught by, you know, a teacher or a guidance counselor or, you know, just any adult, um, who's aware and want to share that knowledge. But I started noticing a pattern where what I felt was kind of just basic knowledge on mental health, it wasn't there or basic, mm-hmm. a basic understanding as to what steps can be taken in order to, let's say, reduce anxiety in the moment. They were hearing it for the first time in therapy. And when I think about the many barriers to therapy and how many people and children, you know, who who do not have access, it's not easy. You know, even, I can even say as an, a motivated adult who wants to go to therapy, it can sometimes be a process, you know, mm-hmm. to find the right one, Make sure they accept your insurance, all these different things that occur before actually sitting in the chair. Um, And so, again, it made me think about that. And it kind of I'm not going to say it like sat in my heart, but it definitely motivated me to want to do more, meaning, okay, how can I make this easy to where at least it can start at home with Mm -hmm. something? Um, as far as, again, building understanding and knowledge and being educated about mental health, even at a child's level. And so, again, I kind of had that kind of aha moment where I'm like, okay, I'm seeing this. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing what's going on right now. And so right. that kind of pushed me um, to then try to start or publish some books. I've always enjoyed creative writing since I was younger. I never saw myself being an author or taking it serious. I wasn't going to like major in journalism or anything like that, but I've always enjoyed like writing poems and, and, and kind of just writing creative writing. So I'm like, why not just take that interest and branch out outside of just what I, yeah, just merge it together and Mm -hmm. have fun with it, but also help um, those in need of just, again, a deeper understanding of, of what they can do to help not just themselves, but their kids. Um, and so that, again, kind of explains a little bit as to where it kind of originated or initiated, um, in addition to, again, just my love and passion for children and families. Um, and so one day I just literally just wrote a story, you know, about self-care. Um, it was during the time of the pandemic when COVID was really big. And I mean, cases were just coming in as far as just anxiety, issues with anxiety, people, children falling into depression, um, young children even, when it comes to just changes in behavior or mood because of what was all what was going on. Um, And so again, one day um, I just decided to create or just write that first story about self-care. And in that particular um, book, I 
list out different strategies of self-care that a child can implement on their own um, without having to be told by a therapist or without having to go on Google. They can see what they can do to take care of themselves in order to maybe manage stress, um, in order for a parent to know what their child can mm. do um, by reading this book. Um, so that was my first one. Um, again, kind of motivated by what was happening and trying to educate not just children, but parents that self-care is for kids too, not mm. just for adults. Um, and that, again, that was my first kind of book baby that was published in February of this year. Um, and then my second one, it revolves around anxiety, um, coping with anxiety. Um, without getting too much into that right now, I'll just go ahead and say the cons- what you will find across all of the books, again, is just strategies that are meant to be understood and practiced um, by, by children at home, starting at home as far as what they can do um, prior to maybe getting connected to, to a therapist. That's awesome. Well, first off, congratulations on becoming an author. I think that's huge, especially given Thank all you. that you do in your regular day-to-day life. Um, <laughs> on top of being a mom, um, I think that's really awesome. And, and it's really great to see how you're taking something that you're passionate about, um, and something that you're, you just have fun with, which is like creative Thank writing you. and merging the two and also it's a, it's a way that mental health is uh, like you're increasing the accessibility of mental health. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I look at it. That's what kind yeah. of like, you know, when we met and we talked originally, I was like, wow, I, so many things I didn't think of, but like just creating books that teach kids how to take care of themselves mm-hmm. is super important because it, it's you know, getting to the point where you're actually seeing a psychologist, like you said, there's lots of barriers, there's cost, mm-hmm. there are, you know, having parents that will say yes. And even, yeah. you know, having yeah. parents that care, having parents, period, maybe they're in the foster system, maybe mm-hmm. they have a guardian. Um, but I think there's just a range of different ways, especially for kids that, that mental health barriers kind of pile up. So yeah. Yeah. being able to, you know, give somebody a book, um, have a book that's always, you know, around at the house, in a school. Mm-hmm. If you're a teacher, hit up Dr. Morgan, order <laughs> some of these books for your classroom. Um, but I think that's really awesome. It's, an, and it's another way to kind of reduce that stigma from early on mm-hmm. and say it's okay to not feel okay. And here's how you can yeah. kind of get back to your normal self. So kudos yeah, to you, you for like Thank putting you. this collection out there. I'm really excited um, about your book for anxiety, of course. I'm excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yes, please let you know. Let us know when when that's coming out. Do Do you have a date for when it's gonna come out? Yeah, definitely. So, as a matter of fact, I um I even have it here. I'm gonna show it. So this is kind of like the uh, what do you call it? The proof copy. So this is not the final copy. Okay. But this is what it looks like. It's Ooh. called um, a story about. Or I'm sorry, Melody, the music queen, a story mm-hmm. about coping with anxiety. Um, oh, so, I love it. Yeah, it's it's super cute. And she's super cute too. I'm like, oh, she's so adorable with her like pigtails. When I saw the illustrations, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Yes. Um, but again, it's a great story. It it is consistent with the first book again, as far as just 
listing out strategies for coping with anxiety, you know, with some of those symptoms, such as like the physical symptoms, the cognitive symptoms, such as the worries that you may have. Um, And it'll be releasing on uh, the 30th of this month. So August 30th, uh, 2022, uh, it will be officially on the market. You can find it on Amazon um, as well as c4collection.com. Um, I am going to have a pre-order event um, probably about a week or two before uh, the 30th. Uh, but as far as the actual official release date, it'll be on, yeah, on the 30th. So. August 30th. August. All right. So you yeah. heard Dr. Morgan, August 30th, her second book of the C4 collection is coming out. Make sure you click the links in the description. All of the links that she's just mentioned will be down there. Put in your order if you're a parent. If you're a teacher, if you're a child psychologist and you want some more, you know, tools in your, in your, Mm -hmm. um, in your toolbox, Mm -hmm. um, definitely click the links, order, um, order a bunch of them. Don't just order one, you know, Christmas is coming (laughs) up. The holidays are coming up. It's time to like get ready to stuff those gift baskets. But in all seriousness, I think what you're doing is awesome. Um, I'm excited to to see the book um i'm probably going to order one and, and give it to one of my friend's children <laughs> for, for christmas um yeah. but no i just want to give you your flowers now and the fact that you're doing you. you you're a child psychologist you are a mother your wife you are you <laughs> you know <laughs> and you're also yeah. an author and um i think that the work that you're doing is very needed um and much appreciated so like keep going you're welcome back whenever you want to come back (laughs) onto the podcast thank you I really really appreciate again I want to thank you what you're doing is amazing I you know took the time to be able to listen to some of your episodes um, your previous episodes and I'm just like please don't stop like we need this out there we really do I mean I'm even you know learning of course from some of the information um, or just stories that were shared, you know, from the previous episodes to where I'm going to hand you your flowers as well, Ashley, what you're doing oh, and your, you. you yourself, you're beautiful, you know, just thank everything you. about it is, is phenomenal. So congratulations on what you've achieved and keep going. I, thank you know, you. it's a pleasure to be on here. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. No um, Thank you for taking the time out to hop on an episode. Um, I love this episode. I can't wait to, I can't wait for the people to hear it. Um, And yeah, thank you to everybody that's listening. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody that listens, sends it to their mom, their sister, their best (laughs) friend, the group chat, um, their like coworkers. Um, I, I definitely appreciate uh, all the love out there and all the people that are that are tuning in and listening um i am always looking for more guests to come on the podcast um as you know i interview mental health professionals like dr morgan i also interview everyday black women that want to come on and tell their uh tell their own talk about their own journeys with their own mental health so if you are either of those two um or if you work for an organization that provides mental health resources please reach out to me. Um, Black girls have anxiety too at gmail.com is my email. It's also in the description below. You can also just DM me on Instagram um, at black girls have anxiety too. But um, yes, please reach out if you would like, if you have an idea, you're like, Hey, 
you want to do an episode like this? Or can I come on and talk about my ADHD or whatever it may be? Um, I'd love to, to connect with everybody. So links in the description, follow us on Instagram at black girls have anxiety too. Dr. Morgan, where can they find you? Um, either on socials or emails. I know you shouted out the website before, but where can they find you? Yeah, definitely. So you can find me on Instagram. Um, I have two accounts. So one is like my personal account. I'm a mental health advocate. I post all the time when it comes to just my life, you know, things about mental health. Um, And my name on on Instagram for that is paging.dr.morgan. And then I have an Instagram page for... um, my books or, you know, being an author. And that is again on Instagram, C4 collects books. Um, So you can follow me on those two platforms. You can put in the same name for C4 collects books on Facebook. I'm also on there as well, where you can follow me. Um, My email, you can reach out to me um, at info at C4 collection.com. And again, also visit the website, c4collection.com just to find the latest uh, books, including the first one, one, two, three, self-care is important to me. Um, And yeah, just any other resources that I just post on there to hopefully help uh, support, you know, everyone that is uh, open to to some of those things. Yeah. Yes. So make sure you follow Dr. Morgan, um, all of her, all, everything she's mentioned in the description, hit her up, order some books, um ask her questions if you want to she's awesome as you can see um but again thank you so much for joining today appreciate it that is another episode of black girls have anxiety too bye everyone thank you so much for listening to another episode of black girls have anxiety too no matter where you are in the world i really appreciate your support See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal. <laughs>